You deserve a good breakfast this morning. Now don't spit. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. I'm William Turton. Today on The Dispatch, Ian Birnbaum on how YouTube is killing revenue on all kinds of videos. YouTube flags a video for demonetization or flags it as, quote, unsuitable for advertisers. And and Derek Gallo on the rise of sober celebrities. There's now a good number of pop culture figures who are open about their sobriety. Here's The Dispatch. The future. The automated system that screens YouTube videos for things advertisers want to stay away from has been on a tear lately. It's been stripping popular creators of their revenue streams and causing confusion and chaos. Many of YouTube's top creators took it personally, posting videos about how YouTube had grown on the strength of its popular vloggers, only to cast them aside. Taking away the ability to monetize a video where you're saying things that they don't deem okay, that's been described as censorship with a different name because if you do this on the regular and you have no advertising, it's not sustainable. Ian Birnbaum has been writing about why this is happening and what it means for creators on the internet. Hey, Ian, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Why is YouTube turning off monetization for some accounts? Uh, The simplest answer is that it's trying to make YouTube a more friendly place for advertisers. So if you're, um, you know, Coca-Cola and you're putting ads on YouTube, uh, you really don't want your ads uh, running right before somebody watches like an ISIS propaganda video or um, any any number of the like the really nasty stuff that's on the internet. You probably don't want your ad running right before that. So what they're doing is they're looking for ways to uh, filter content and assign content certain categories so that they can decide, okay, no ads are going to run over here on this white supremacist video, Mm -hmm. uh, but ads are cool over here on this cat video. Were there advertisers that were leaving YouTube as a platform because of offensive content? Yeah, um, there was a, there's a, a bit of a, a dust-up in March this year. Um, and, and in the wake of that, I think uh, I saw an article saying that they lost about 5% of their biggest advertisers. Uh, and it was big companies saying, hey, like we, you know, uh, we can't advertise on YouTube. We can't support this platform anymore. And then they left. So, yeah, right. it, it is happening. Right. So uh, how does monetization work and what does it mean to demonetize a video? Um, the, uh, the best source I've ever found on this is actually a, a guy named CGP Gray, and he runs these uh, explainer videos. And he did an explainer um, on how YouTube ads work. The moment each new video is uploaded, YouTube's bots get to work, looking at the title, the keywords, the captions, the comments, the controversy, all to make their best guess as to what category it belongs in. Meanwhile, advertisers tell their own bots what category of videos they want their ads to run against and what kind to avoid. So, you know, in in the bygone era of TV, right, um, you would buy an ad on, on Monday Night Football because you wanted to support that program and people that you wanted to, to put your advertising in front of watch that program. Uh, in YouTube, you just directly target the people that you want to target and then whatever videos they happen to click on, they'll see your ad anyways. So you're targeting the consumer much more directly. And so when YouTube flags a video for demonetization or flags it as, quote, unsuitable for advertisers, uh, what they're saying is no ads will run before your video. And for some of us, that that would be a good thing because, you know, people don't really like watching ads. But for lots of YouTube uh, 
video creators, uh, those ads and their share of the revenue from them are how they fund their businesses. Uh, some of them, it's their full-time job. Uh, some of them, it's the, it's the funding source that, that rolls all of their video content creation. Who are some of the people affected by this? Um, so, so this is affecting everybody like across all political and personal spectrums. And so that includes like mainstream Republicans. And I know what you're probably thinking, Mikey, how could conservatism be the new counterculture if Donald Trump just won the election? That includes, uh, feminists, that includes conspiracy theorists. The orb in between the two streams of chemtrails, it keeps perfect formation with them. Uh, journalists, um, people who make horror, like, uh, you know, fictional uh, horror movies, um, transgender people, video gamers are another big one. Lots of people who uh, stream video games. I give tips, I give guides. They had lots of their uh, con their content flagged as well. Why Why these groups? Is, that be is it because they're making content that isn't necessarily PC? Yeah, I think that would be the the most likely answer. I mean, the, the more direct answer is that I don't know and nobody outside of YouTube knows uh, because nobody knows what their algorithm looks like or does. But if you think about um, trying to identify anything that any advertiser might find objectionable, because um, this isn't like a specific, you know, our advertiser doesn't want to sponsor any kind of um, sexually explicit content. So we're flagging you know, sexually explicit content and removing it. This is YouTube mm -hmm. saying, hey, your video, because of these various categories or because of these red flags that were raised, are unsuitable for all advertising. Um, and you wrote about small tubers. How are they affected? So small tubers are a uh, basically a community of, uh, of YouTube video makers who have small audiences. Think like indie games or uh, small businesses. You know, they all sort of banded together and said, hey, like we, um, we make videos too, just because we don't have big audiences doesn't mean that we're not also valuable, uh, you know, contributors to this platform. And so small tubers are, are particularly bummed out about this because YouTube has a policy that, that if they get your video wrong, like if they flag it as inappropriate and there's nothing inappropriate about it, you can file an appeal, but they'll only be looking at appeals that, uh, for videos that get more than a thousand views within any seven day period or from uh, channels that have more than 10,000 subscribers. And so if you're just making videos and, and you see a few hundred views, um, you know, it's just sort of you're doing, you're doing your thing. Uh, if those get flagged and you file an appeal, according to YouTube, they will never look at your appeal because you're not, you know, you're not worth it to them. Now, nobody's going to be funding their full-time job off of a few hundred views, but it's a very clear message to people making those videos that YouTube, like, you're not worth their time. So it seems like a lot of people are being offended by this demonetization. How could a system be so flawed? That is a really good question. Um, and again, like, I guess YouTube is the only one who can answer that, but... Um, you know, it's anecdotal, um, so I, I hesitate to, to harp on it too much, but I've, I've seen some, some complaints and reports like on Twitter and Reddit of people saying that um, all of their videos were flagged as inappropriate, and then they went through and filed appeals on each one, and 90% of them were reinstated. So, it, you know, basically that means the, the algorithm went through and said all of this is, is objectionable, 
And then when a human went through and looked at it, 90% of those objectionable videos were actually totally fine. So if you've got an algorithm that is missing like 90% of the time, that's, I mean, that's, I, I don't know how that rolls out. I don't know how that gets, you know, deployed to anyone anywhere. So I don't know how, um, how the system could be so flawed, but the other half of it is YouTube's communication, right? So let's say they roll out this algorithm and it's a mess and it's getting lots of false positives. If they were being transparent and forthright about what's going on, uh, what they're working on, what they're trying to do, what's not working, all of those kinds of questions that people have, um, we wouldn't be seeing the total sort of meltdown mess that has been accelerating in the last couple of weeks. And in that absence of information, you know, everybody's just getting super paranoid. And so that's right. where you see lots of people saying, hey, YouTube's demonetizing all queer content. Um, they, you know, they don't want queer creators on their platform. And then like sort of the next uh, backyard over in the neighborhood is like alt-right uh, video bloggers. And they're saying hey, YouTube hates, you know, the alt-right and the conservative voice. They're shills for liberal media and stuff. And so like everybody's being affected by the same thing and in the same ways, but because, because we're all in our own little echo chambers in our own little silos, um, nobody knows that it's, it's being, a, uh, they're being affected in the same way as everybody else. You reached out to YouTube. What did they say to you? Uh, they said nothing. <laughs> they did not respond to comment. Uh, classic. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't respond. Thanks Ian. Yeah, thank you. Ian Birnbaum is a freelance writer. Culture. Over the past two decades, with the rise of reality TV... The culture of drinking and drug-taking that has long been glorified in American pop culture has come to an explosive head. Ah! Millennials came of age in the time when drunken antics prevailed as entertainment on TV shows like The Real World, Flavor of Love, and Jersey Shore. Ah! In music, the party anthem also had its heyday in the early 2000s. As many have noted, mega-successful hip-hop artist Future has built a career partially on making drug addiction look cool, ever since he released his mixtape Dirty Sprite in 2011. His latest hit, and one of the biggest songs of the year, Mask Off, covers similar ground. But times change, and so do substance preferences. There's now a good number of pop culture figures who are open about their sobriety, and more television portrayals of the adverse consequences of heavy drinking and drug use. Sia, Rumor Scout and Tallulah Willis, Demi Lovato, SNL's Pete Davidson, Brad Pitt, Chrissy Teigen, and Gucci Mane have all been open and vocal about their journeys with alcohol and drug use, along with their respective recoveries. If I can do it all over again, you know, I think that it, it helped me a lot to get to the point I am now. You know, since it dried me out from the drugs, gave me time to reflect. In the fictional world, sober icons are few and far between. But shows depicting the negative consequences of risky drinking and drug use provide their own kinds of icons. A character on Shameless lost his college scholarship and job due to his struggles with alcoholism. But then he began attending Alcoholics Anonymous. Can I take you to a meeting? Are you going to meetings now? No. I just said I'd take you to one. 
Bojack Horseman has always presented the eponymous main character's drinking as a coping mechanism for the lack of fulfillment he finds in his personal and professional lives. But in the latest season, Bojack actively begins to question his drinking habits once his mother and alleged daughter come to live with him. One drink. Whoa. Is it night suddenly? Suddenly sundown. Suddenly Suestown. What was that show? Suddenly Suestown? Sober public figures and icons send the message that living a happy, interesting, exciting life is possible without alcohol and drugs. Nationwide, neighborhood bars are closing, beer sales are down, marijuana use and binge drinking among teens is declining, and there are more and more recovery programs on college campuses. For me, it seems like every year brings more and more sober peers. Still, the U.S. is being devastated by the ongoing opiate crisis. Alcohol use disorders are still increasing nationwide, and according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, that increase is particularly affecting minorities and people at lower socioeconomic levels. And heavy alcohol use is still a huge part of American culture. The increasing visibility of sober public figures can be read as a reaction to the kind of glorified excess celebrated in years past as well as deaths of beloved celebrities. The pioneering musician Prince has died at the age of 57. The tragic death of actor Philip Seymour Hoffman, a performer who was known for his extraordinary range. CNN has confirmed that Whitney Houston has died at the age of 48. It also signals a changing attitude towards sobriety at large, one that focuses on the triumph of recovery rather than the assumed past moral failings of the person in question. Sober living may continue to be characterized as hip and trend pieces for outlets like the New York Times, Elle, and Forbes, but there are still very real barriers that continue to keep recovery and treatment reserved for the privileged few, who are usually white, wealthy, or both. The small bright spot is that sober icons in the entertainment industry are visible to all, and they're giving lots of people their first idea that a sober life is possible, even when the entire world around you is wasted. And Derek Gallo is a staff writer here at The Outline. That's it for The Dispatch. If you like our show, you can catch us here every morning, Monday through Thursday. Just search your favorite podcast app or now on Spotify, too. Thanks for listening. I'm William Turton. More stories tomorrow.